Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Jones, Salah, he wouldn't, would he? Salah's rolled it in. From the Men in Blazers studios in the crap part of Soho and the crap part of Bedford, New York. It's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We back like the Arsenal. And how are you holding up, Dave? How <laughs> was England? Were you reveling in Rishi Sunak's Disneyland? Oh, you couldn't even say back like Liverpool, Rog. Um, yeah, I am back from the UK, from the mother country, well, certainly for one of us, although Val's still there. Um, yeah, I loved it. Rishi Sunak had a good week as PM. That was probably the only time you could ever say that. The highlight for you, I do believe, the trip to Nando's. We never made it to Nando's. My, my son, as we're leaving to go... As we're leaving, your son had one request and you couldn't even make that happen. As we're leaving to go uh, to the UK, my son looked at me sort of wistfully, like so emotional. First time we've gone since COVID. First time since my father passed. First time to go and see family. It's first time going to Stamford Bridge. And he looked at me with a little tear rolling down his cheek and he said, I can't wait to try Nando's. That's what he really wanted. But we tried a lot of other things. Uh, had an amazing time. Did you make a good faith concerted attempt to get the to get the lad his peri peri sauce? No, we walked past. Uh, we were walking through. Um, I think just uh, across Regent Street at one point. And he says, "Oh, Dad, there's a Nando's." I went, "Oh," and then kept on walking. <laughs> that was as close <laughs> as we God. got. I'm not taking him to Nando's. There's no point. He, the whole of my family are like he wanted to go to Nando's. Like so, no. But we did. Believe me, he had the birthday of his life. It was an amazing time. God, there's two theories on what you did. Par- partially, let me paint this in 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 joyous colours, as opposed to the way you just painted it, which is like, yeah, look over there. So we're not going anyway. I, I do believe your philosophy was if the lad has Nando's when he's like, what, like 12 years of age, what more is there for him in life? You can't spoil the kid too early. He's got to keep aspiring. Or were you like, if he has his dream and realizes it's shite, it's going to be devastating. It's better he holds on to the Nando's dream. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's much more prescriptive than that. It's that he has a lifetime to make bad decisions that when you go to London, you've got all of the wonderful food, all of the experiences, all of the culture that you can lap up in that city and family and all these things. You've got a lifetime to make horrible decisions that he can make all by himself when he wants. But when he's with his dad being shown London, being shown his hometown, 
Like we're gonna go to eat at better places. God, that is that is so complicated and remarkable. I'm taking us, my youngest son, um, in a couple of weeks' time. We're gonna go and watch England play Ukraine. Big, big, big uh, date for all Mikolenko obsessives. Um, and I've got to say, he does believe at this point that the whole United Kingdom is just one enormous flame grilled peri peri piece of Nando's, and we're going in. <laughs> yeah well you're a big you like um you like that kind of food more than i do i mean when you Fine go around dining. america yeah well what would we call it a chicken shop you like you like the you like you know a a uh the low culture of food for you is high culture in many ways and i don't disagree with that you know believe me i love some singaporean street food but um nando's is a step too far for me i love a great pending when you see a grade pending and listeners outside of New York, that's the, what is it? It's the food, uh, the hygiene on a restaurant. Grade yeah. pending means what, would you say? How would you describe <laughs> that to is, a non-New Yorker? It would be, you don't really want to go in there because um, it's going to be a really bad grade that they get from the health and safety people, but they're just yeah. waiting you, to it put means, it on. It means you don't just get the food, you get some rat droppings as yeah. a free bonus in there too. Pretty much. When I see a grade pending, I'm like, what magic and mystery lies behind that door? We're going in. Absolutely. A lot of football to get through, Dave. And by the way, yes, to all of you listening, shouting to your pod radios, I do know Everton are football's equivalent of grade pending. But let's get down to it. <laughs> with, with less rat droppings, I assume. Uh, before we get to the football, we've got to talk about the massive week of weeks here at Men in Blazers World Headquarters. We've got quite an incredible JJ Watt pod dropping later in the week. It's and we'll amazing. Talk about... It really is amazing, by the way. It's, Can't wait for it. God, that guy is a football obsessive at this point. Our football. There are rumours Pep Guardiola is going to hang out with you on Wednesday, Roger. Some very significant rumours. And Marcus Rashford, apparently, at the end of the week. But as big for us as any of that, a little bit about a new addition to the Men in Blazers pod family. Rog, this Thursday, we launch Vamos! exclamation mark, a brand new audio offering that focuses on all things CONCACAF with none other than host, former US men's national team hero, longtime friend of the show, Herc Gomez. Oh God, first of all, Hercules Gomez, no secret to anyone who listens to Men in Blazers, he's always been my guest of choice when it comes to matters CONCACAF. He's been that way since he was a player. When I covered the team, he was always first with an insight or a quote one of the, really, not just an insight or a quote, but an analysis of what you just watched that made you think differently about the spectacle. And upon turning to broadcasting, I think he's been that times 100. Independent-minded, well-informed, analytical. In key moments, I always seek out Herc's voice. And so, as we decided to build out Men in Blazers' talent roster, which is really the goal over the next 48 months... Hercules was one of the first people I reached out to. I really wanted a voice that could guide us through the dominant storylines crackling around our region. Dizzying days for all who love the game we love in the United States. A Copa America coming, a World Cup hurtling towards these shores. Liga MX firmly establishes the most watched league in the United States. MLS embarking on its Apple era. The sound of those tectonic plates shifting beneath the corner of our football world is faintly audible everywhere. Vamos, it's really our attempt to craft an accessible, intelligent, weekly source for everything you need to know about the biggest football stories on our continent. I'm so 
elated to launch this project. Our goal really with Men in Blazers in 2023-24 is just to do good things with great people and Herc's all of that and more. So God bless. Vamos. Oh, Rog, couldn't be more excited to be launching uh, this pod uh, with Herc. Very excited about all the Tobagan coverage that we're going to have. Going deep. The premiere episode drops this Thursday right here on this pod feed. Again, this week's episode is on this feed. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to listen, share, review and rate. Rog, let's celebrate this beautiful moment in Men in Blazers history with a tourist. God, I want to raise this third first bud of the day, which is actually technically a bud light, uh, to Kylian Mbappe, who this weekend etched his name into the history books again became Paris Saint-Germain's all-time leading goal scorer, his 201st goal in the 4-2 Ligue 1 victory over Nantes. He's just 24 years of age. He's done all of this. Yes, 201 goals in just 247 appearances, dizzying numbers. And perhaps the most dizzying of all to me is that age. He's so bloody young still, 24, two months younger than Christian Pulisic, two generations younger than Tim Ream. You know who else became their club's top scorer at that time, at that age? Lionel Messi at Barcelona. That is the kind of transcendent trajectory that Killian is on, and I think we're all the better for it. Courage, or as they say in Paris, courage. Oh, and he did it. He did it at Nantes. It's hard to do it at Nantes, Rog. Okay. Oh, tell, tell me about it. <laughs> to the football. I've tried. Liverpool 7, Manchester United 0. That is right. That is not a typo, Roger. This is how the weekend ended in the UK. Liverpool 7, Manchester United 0. An historic victory for Liverpool that could turbocharge their top four hopes. A hat-trick of braces from Cody Gakpo, Darwin Nunez and Mohamed Salah, plus a cherry on top. From Bobby Firmino, see Jurgen Klopp and co. just bludgeon a United team that just one week earlier had lifted the first trophy of the Eric Ten Hag era. A number of records broken in this game, including Mo Salah becoming Liverpool's all-time leading Premier League goal scorer with 129. Just an absolutely incredible achievement, Rog. There's just so much to break down. Behold... The most epic rivalry of all time. Liverpool hadn't lost at home in this massive game for seven long years. But this, we were told, was the game in which the balance of power was creaking back towards the Manchester side of things. Eric Tenhards, surging United, confident, potent, the green shoots of grandeur everywhere and their cup of Carabao marching behind their host like an energy drink arc of the Covenant Clop. Adrenaline pumping on a weekend in which fourth place rivals Spurs and Newcastle had both lost before kickoff. And he was asked in that pregame interview, what's your key to the game here, Jürgen? And he thought for a moment and he just said, play good is helpful. And God, God bless. In came Hendo, 400th start for that stalwart. Many Liverpool fans howling. What? Why? How? But stats had shown previous five t- times at Fabinho. Harvey Elliott and Hendo had all started together. In the previous four, they'd won them all, conceded just try. So there was a rational wisdom for Jürgen amongst the old legs and the howling emotionalism of the fans. United, they went with the fatigued legs, but dominant minds of their Carabao starting eleven. And we do need to acknowledge this detail, Davo. Liverpool, in the midst of a season, yes, of bewilderment, of melancholy, of fatigue, of supposed vulnerability. I mean... I am old enough to remember their sordid performance against Crystal Palace last weekend. Some fans flew a plane 
over the field before the game saying, FSG out, Klopp in, enough is enough. And that flew around Anfield. And look, I know Liverpool fans, as many who are annoyed about the lack of competition in terms of the investment with the bigger clubs in that squad and the theory that Klopp's brilliance has kind of papered over the cracks. But a league title, three Champions League finals in the last five years. Dave, the impatience of football fans, some would say the entitlement of football fans, sometimes I just don't know. Truth is, really, aren't Everton fans the only one who can look at Liverpool and say, God, enough is enough of all that winning? I mean, yeah, it's not like that's a team that are out on the field that are, you know, they weren't bought at Walmart, Rog. Nothing against Walmart, but it's a, there are superstars um, on that team from front to back. So I think the level of investment from FSG, it's hard to argue with. Um, But yeah, fans don't like it when their teams start playing badly. And Liverpool have not played very well this season and they've they've fallen a long way off the pace. And it's interesting, Roger, because in... One thing you forget about London is what the late kickoff on Sunday really is in the UK, is that here it's just the the second game when you wake up on a Sunday. In the UK, (laughs) the entire weekend builds up to this 4.30pm kickoff on on a Sunday afternoon. And so the amount of narrative, the amount of expectation, the amount of drama, it's tangible. The amount of beers before feel. the game. Yes, well, that's what I was going to get to. And um, it is just, you know, it was a it was a cauldron. Anfield before kickoff was just a, it was a cauldron. And Klopp had asked his team to be brave from the off. And they were. They were front foot. They won every second ball. They charged at the United goal, albeit without actually forcing De Gea into action. Nunez came closest, Martinez smothering brilliantly. United, you thought their games so thick and fast. That Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Thursday, just the two games a week pace. Fatigued, but then they shook it off, sprang into action. Anthony forcing Alisson to parry low. Really a warning shot that United, even off their game, could charge forward and smite because they have quality. But it was Liverpool, 43rd minute, who got the breakthrough. Some ball from Robbo. Soon as that pass was slipped in, Gakpo, whom United had coveted but couldn't afford, he knew exactly what he was going to do. Cut inside Varane, threw him off, opened up his body to arc an arrow into the corner of the net. Delicious, incredible ball. Fine, fine finish. I had absolutely no interest in being somebody else's muse. Roared Gakpo, I am not a muse. I am the somebody. And it was magnificent. Yeah, arced, hit low, and also with great speed. You know, three things very hard to do in combination. It wasn't Arur, Rog. It was a fantastic goal. And he reeled away in joy, Cody. Got a rap on the head from Jordan Hendo for his efforts. Then unfurled some slightly weird Darwin Nunez. Sniffed my armpit goal, Sally. God, Darwin, that man is, I swear, Uruguay Mary Catherine Gallagher, which would explain a lot. And at halftime, all the narrative was, ho, 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 hold on. Ten Hag is the master of halftime adjustments. What will he do to conjure more from his talent-soaked momentum monsters? You know, Klopp had called Manchester United a results machine pre-game. And we expected, didn't we, United to come out, rip up the game script. But instead, this was gobsmacking. It was Liverpool 
Urged on by that raucous cop, United truly sucker punched Liverpool almost from kickoff in transition. Elliot slapped in across the Nunez from close enough range that even he couldn't conjure a surreal miss. Bro lettuce to man bun. Liverpool roaring, what is dead may never die. David, never. I've always said this. I've learned this the hard way, listeners, too many times. I can show you my scars. They're real and mental. Never write Liverpool off. I've learned that lesson the hard way. I'm starting to believe, David, this is my theory. Liverpool soak up all the global Schadenfreude in the world and somehow convert it into rocket fuel. Yeah, I mean, this is rocket fuel. Who knows? We'll have to find out in future weeks whether this is rocket fuel that had a one-week expiration date, you know, or whether it's rocket fuel that is... I love that. It's my favourite kind of yeah, rocket but fuel. Whether, or whether it's rocket fuel that's going to last a long time. But, you know, this is the cruel thing about football, Rog. We've seen teams play terribly and lose 1-0. I saw a team play terribly at the weekend and they won 1-0. And... But sometimes in football, you can just get hammered when you are just a step below the pace and when the other team are feeling it all over the park. It's a game of such close margins. It's not the NBA where you can get hammered, but you score 112 points and your opponents score 138. That's a hammering, but at least it looks better. I think it's sometimes a game of margins. If you watch Everton week in, week out, you cannot get away (laughs) with that explanation. Sometimes there's wide margins. But you are right, and old listeners will know this. My dad, Judge Ivor Bennett, always said, David, what are the two best times to score a goal? Uh, just before and just after halftime. Yeah, just before halftime. Why? Because my dad thinks that the manager will have to rip up his halftime oh, no. team Poor talk. Eric Ten Hag. Mm. And not, be able to, not, not able to improv a great one, according to my dad. Yeah. And right after is also demoralising. Second best time to score a goal because then the players will be demoralised and that manager's half-time team sheet's instantly out of date. And yeah. Liverpool had scored either side of Judge Ivor Bennett time, the red double, and it would get worse for Manchester United. Liverpool kept overloading United's right and within three and a half minutes, some third goal. Really a work of art as if Liverpool had taken United, almost with Aikido, they'd taken United's confidence and used it against them. Mohamed Salah tormenting Lissandro Martinez, fed Cody Gakpo and the Dutchman, again, so clinical, again, seemed to know exactly what he was going to do before the ball had even come to him. He caressed it, Davo. He, he sweetly, archly caressed it over a gobsmacked David De Gea. It was magnificent. Yeah, and watching... Man United's defence, who, you know, we have given all of them a lot of credit this year, Martinez uh, particularly, um, and watching them just being taken apart by Liverpool, it was quite staggering. Luke Shaw walking around with some big, we're all trying to find the guy who did this vibes after letting Gapko run right off his shoulder in on goal. Gakpo maligned, but suddenly the best Dutchie since musical youth, Darwin and Gakpo suddenly belatedly, joyously bedding in after deeply inconsistent starts. Salah blasted a fourth. The joy of something lost felt like it was being found again. Mo Salah, 10 goals in six games against the Manx. I bet he wishes he could play Manchester United every week. United had just imploded at this point. They'd stopped trying. They gave up. They capitulated. Bruno Fernandes. You know, United have have, have taught this season about their much-touted no-dickheads policy. But Bruno seemed to spend much of the second half. <laughs> David, I don't know. On my television... 
Bruno seemed to have almost an enormous phallus welded onto his cranium. Was it like that on your television? Yeah, he seems to pass the dickhead uh, test quite handsomely. Roger. Yeah, I think he's, he's, I think the word I think the word no has fallen <laughs> off the sign by his lockup. Oh, dickhead! Oh, you want dickhead? Oh, you want, yeah, where do I sign? <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's kind of incredible. I'm sure that what that applies to is how players train, how they are around the other teammates, how they do those things. But certainly, when it comes to uh, on-screen performances, on-field performances, uh, this was. This was next level. Enormous. Enormous. I remember watching the Beastie Boys and the Pinnacle in their in their peak, their first album, License to Will. I wrote about this in my book, Reborn to the USA. On their on stage at the peak of their concert, they had an enormous, like a 50-foot a penis that would spring out like a jack-in-the-box. And genuinely, if United had chosen to play that, it would not have been as large a dick as Bruno was for much of this game. Just his arch heel theatrics, flinging himself to the floor in really physics-defying fashion, just trolling around, not even trying to get near the ball. And that was United's vibe. That was from their captain as Darwin Nunez added a fifth. Mo Salah rifled home after more woeful, woeful United defending. And he reeled away and ripped off his jersey. Incredible stat from Squawker. Um, at Anfield since 2017, I love this, Davo, Mo Salah has received more yellow cards for taking his shirt off for celebrating scoring against Manchester United twice than United have scored goals total. <laughs> Nipples. Yeah, that's amazing. He looks like he's been back in the gym working hard. He's looking good, Mo Salah. He said post-game, it's very special. I'm going to go home with my family and have some chamomile tea and celebrate. Oh, Mo Salah sipping tea like Alex Morgan, respect. And then in a moment of true, true human poetry, on the day in which Liverpool's new front three seemed to click in the most savage and potent, dream-filled, roaring fashion, Bobby Firmino, that smiling, assassin crown prince, trotted out days after he'd announced he was going to let his contract run out at the end of the year. He'll leave Liverpool after eight incredible seasons. He scored a goal. It was less a goal, Dave. It was like like a curtain call. It's like a hat tip to those who were replacing him. It was like a, a memory of all the joy that had been shared between crowd and player and relief. Really, a, a true warrior's final moment, right? Yeah, it was a tribute goal. It was a tribute goal. And it was it was actually a very heartwarming moment and his celebration and his genuine joy and the joy his teammates felt for him. It was beautiful. It was like the climax. You realise you were watching live, the climax of an epic poem that will be sung for generations about Bobby and Mo and Sadio and the joy and the miles we'd travelled and the cities we'd seen and the victories we'd savoured. My great friend John Green <laughs> tweeted... Bobby is still in his prime. He will always be in his prime. When the heat death of the universe occurs in trillions of years, Roberto Firmino will nutmeg the last dying star. I adore that. He'll probably actually no look nutmeg the last dying star. John Green, who's taken it particularly badly, but 7-0, Davo. Honestly, was that not like watching the world's most constipated human being react to the invention of prunes? Yeah, I mean... It is something watching, there's something about seven goals, Rog, that feels so much worse than a 6-0 loss. Even a 7-1 <laughs> loss is so much worse than a 6. I don't know what it is about the number Good of goal. seven, Good but it's goal. like yeah. five and six is awful, much worse than four and three. 
but still within the within the realm of reasonableness. When you get to seven, it's just a big number that feels like you just don't see it very often in football. And it feels awful. I mean, amazing to see your team score seven, humiliating beyond to see your team concede seven, especially when your team have been so good and are bringing you so much joy to like get punched in, just smashed. You can feel the blood in your mouth from that from that punch in the gob of a 7-0 loss to Liverpool. Oh my word for Man United fans. But yeah, there's something about the number seven that isn't good. Yeah, it's the worst Premier League loss ever for United. First time they conceded seven, made them long for those nostalgic days of last season where Liverpool merely pistol whipped them 5-0 and 4-0. That league title chase, really a crevice of a dream this season, is now over. And whew, how they respond against Betis on Thursday and then Southampton at the weekend. You know, a week ago, their fans danced at Wembley. Today, a reality check. Ten Hag seething post-game, lambasted his players, his senior leaders he called unprofessional. They didn't cooperate together anymore. They didn't fulfill their jobs this seemed, let's say, until we see it extending into a real dip, just a case of the 51 million games they played this season finally catching up with them. But Liverpool, a game that started with a plane, enough is enough, ended with United's backline screaming something similar. Enough is enough. No mass, no mass. And GFOP at Steve Shuler, I think, gave the most logical analysis of what we witnessed, because I'd love you to explain what happened to Liverpool, Davo. He said the Reds went back to the 2022 settings in this software patch. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't really know how to explain it. I messaged, you know, upon landing last night at Newark, I messaged, you know, a few of my mates who are huge Man United fans and asked them to try and, you know, give their explanation of what happened. And of course, the first, you know, 70 to 80% of the of, of the of the textual content was all about tiredness <laughs> and tired legs and they've played more than any team in Europe and all of those kind of things. But when you sort of got further into the analysis, you know, a lot of it was about, you know, the you know, there's has been a feeling amongst even United fans that they do I mean similar Klopp's little jibe there, which is being they're a results machine. There has been a feeling about a lot of United fans that this is unbelievable. We're we are getting away with wins when the overall performance hasn't been great, but there have been some amazing goal scoring moments from Marcus Rashford, key moments in games where we've gone up after we haven't conceded. And they always wondered what would happen if they faced a challenge early on in the game. And, you know, early on, as you said, in Judge Iver time, just before halftime, just after halftime, this is a club that is eerie. It d didn't answer to that challenge at that point. And this is going to be the next mountain for Eric Ten Hag to climb, is to teach that new version of leadership around his players of how you deal when it's not going well. It's fascinating. You know, Pep, ultimately, he seems so salty after the Carabao uh, win for United. He was the one who called that they were... They were due for a reckoning. This came out of nowhere. Peter Drury called it Liverpool as you remember them, which I love. You know, the harmony between that front three suddenly, the movement, the understanding, that just clicking together on this day. On this day, it is too soon to herald that Liverpool are back, just to be clear. But at the same time, Liverpool have always finished in the Champions League places during Klopp's full seasons at Anfield. And they're now within three points of Tottenham a game in hand, soaring, 
You know, they play Bournemouth next weekend. We'll no doubt crap the bed against them, according to my brother Nigel. Always the optimist. But for now, the memory of this game, the spectacle, the surging emotions, they will they'll be as lauded in Liverpool fans' minds as the Trojan War or the Aeneid's War in Italy were uh, to the ancients. And you know, David, sometimes I do think, and I tweeted something to this effect after the game, sometimes I think football only exists to make fools of us all and remind us how little we know about anything. I mean, who foresaw this? Who predicted this? This game was truly, profoundly humbling. Humbling as a football fan, humbling as a human. I'd say the humbling went far beyond just Manchester United and their fans. And that's the beauty of the game. Yeah, I mean, when the Premier League writers came up with this storyline, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the, 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 you know, up in the executive suite where they review the scripts? Have we jumped the shark? Have we jumped like, the shark? No, with you this? can't have Liverpool beat Man United 7 0. No they, the, they just won the Carabao Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who Are knows? Are you crazy, man? Are you crazy? Are you um, crazy? But uh, yeah, it's, it's just a storyline that you wouldn't believe in. It is these margins, you know, and, you know, just that, to me, these. You know, what was it? What was it that made the difference? What was the asymmetric advantage um, that Liverpool had in this game? And I think that Anfield crowd, as you said last season, those results, 5-0 and 4-0, you know, Liverpool do get it up against Man United. They, they want to get up for that game. And they maybe sensed a little bit of weakness of Man United coming in, a sense that, oh, they could, they could stick it to them. That atmosphere at Liverpool at Anfield was just phenomenal. It was electric. And We've seen it. We've seen it ourselves. We saw Manchester City yes, I remember. with our own eyes go in I and remember. be smited. I've seen Everton go in. It's like quicksand. When that crowd gets behind that team and that team feel it, it is like quicksand and it's impossible to battle against. But woof, whether they can do it again next week against Bournemouth. We will see. And I should say, Roger, I apologise for all the banging going on in the crap part of Soho right now. There's a lot of construction going on. <laughs> it's the Walt Disney Company building their new headquarters. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favourites, California, Texas and Georgia. Godspeed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving double P. Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because Price Picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? Uh, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! 
and even checkouts not until four so because the american express platinum card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants elevated experiences at live events and 4 p.m late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through amex travel that's the powerful backing of american express see how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with amex terms apply okay rog now two i mean two insane games this weekend insane Insane. Um, this is one of the best games of Premier League football I've ever seen. The comeback, just phenomenal. Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 2. We should have known from the start because with the rarely seen kickoff set piece, the visiting Cherries marched right down the field and they took a 1-0 lead on the league leaders in just 11 seconds thanks to Philip Billings' foot. Despite Arsenal having most of the possession, the Cherries then doubled that lead on 57 minutes via uh, Marco Senesi. But trailing 2-0... And with their title hopes perpetually in the balance, Arsenal did what Arsenal do. They roared back a 62nd-minute goal from just return from injury, Thomas Partey. And Ben White's first ever goal for the club pulled them level after a check of the watch. And then in the 97th minute, the 97th minute, Rog, a moment future civilizations will learn about via cave drawings in North London, tapestries and TikTok, the ball Broke to Reese Nelson on the edge of the area. He dropped the elephant and castle hammer. Oh, thanks for the South London reference. Lashing a shot into the corner and winning it for the Arsenal. What a game of bloody football. Let's go back before kickoff. This was the Arsenal closing in on a first Premier League title since 2004. Facing up to one of their favourite praise of all time, Arsenal have beaten Bournemouth in every competition by an aggregate score of 17-2 at home. I think only against Gainsborough Trinity, whom they've beaten eight times out of eight. And where are Gainsborough Trinity now? Do they have a better record at home? So it was some bloody sucker punch from kickoff that Bournemouth scored after, I think it was 9.11 seconds, a set play from kickoff. They drew up what looked like, to me, some kind of mid-major college football conference onside kicky thing. You, you could have told me I was watching the Tarleton State Texans and I would have believed you. And I do wonder if it was a play drawn up actually by Cherry's new owner, Michael B. Jordan himself, and sent it to them. The, the Bournemouth players essentially lined up like an onside kick um, straight across the halfway line. Five Arsenal defenders, bemused, confused, totally static as the Cherries played right through them. Billing stabbed home from close range as the commentator was still reading his set piece about how um, Bournemouth have never won a single point at Arsenal. They just went down the field and scored on them. 9.11 seconds. They were second fastest goal in the Premier League all time. Um, do they not know about the scientific truth of scoring too early? Do they not know that commentators, Rog, they've got to prepare their opening remarks and they usually take more than uh, more than 10 seconds after kickoff? Yeah, I mean, can you score too early? You're the expert. Against the league leaders when you are mired in a relegation battle for the ages. I would, I would say that you can't really score too early. And this was, this helped Bournemouth get, you know, what was ultimately a pretty good result, a pretty perform- good performance against the champions. So I don't believe it was too early. You know, it would get worse for Arsenal. Trossard off injured on 22 minutes. Enter Emil Smith-Rowe. Good to see him back, but it didn't help. Gobsmack of gobsmacks. Marco Sinisi lost Thomas Partey, headed home. And that, 
That is where things got interesting because Partey quickly made up for his mistake by stabbing in from close range. And then the tenor of the game just changed completely. Reese Nelson, impact sub, 69th minute he came on. Nice. Came on for the first time since November and Arsenal proceeded to score twice within two minutes. First, tin up Ben White for his first goal in an Arsenal jersey. A strike that crossed the line before Neto could parry. And was seen to be a ball's length over the line, that distance. Always when you see that photograph, the VAR photograph of how much it's like the difference between glory and doom, titles and titles lost, a lifeline, a lifeline. Just the Emirates started rocking. Bournemouth quaking, Saka banking shots off defenders onto the post. But man, I've got to be clear, I am not an Arsenal fan. And I don't know if you know that about me, but watching this game, Davo, the finale. My nipples were tingling. I have honestly rarely felt more alive than watching the last 15 minutes of this game. Well, I've got to tell you, I'm even less an Arsenal fan uh, than you are. But watching this on Match of the Day, watching that comeback, it was just so thrilling. Watching all the Arsenal reaction videos, listening to my mates on on Twitter and text that evening, just, just literally red-faced and so emotional about what happened. The only thing I've got to say, though, is this is 26 38ths into the season. This is 13 19th. This is happening at, at what is just the end of the second act. We've got an entire third act of the Premier League season to come. And I can't believe the amount of drama we're having this early. Yeah, well, at Woohoo Circal called Arsenal. <laughs> Uh, he said, oh, men in blazers, Arsenal are the cardiac kids. And yes, they were Bournemouth desperately hanging on, shot blocking with their hands like the Kembe Mutombo, nothing given. Arsenal had all the ball. Bournemouth hemmed in, but resilient. Arsenal could not find a crevice of space. There was no magic. Shots went wide. Crosses hit the first man into extra time. Six minutes deep into it because of, well, conspiracy theorists like to say uh, because they were just letting it go till Arsenal scored. They're actually an injury right at the top of extra time. 97th minute, corner, Reese Nelson, best Nelson since full, found the time, found the space, found, honestly, when you look at just the shattered, fatigued Bournemouth defenders and able to close him down, he lined up his shot, dispatched it, chest, half volley, his aim was true, and just, just carnage in Arsenal households all over the world, David. Yeah, and look, if you know anything about Reese Nelson's story, this this moment is a, just an exclamation point, a a highlight video, not only for the club, but for him personally. Amazing to see it happen for the South Londoner. What a strike, what a finish, situationally, just how brilliant to hit the ball that well at that moment when literally the you can feel every Arsenal fan in the world taking a deep, sharp intake of breath. Um, amazing. So happy. So happy for him. Pray for Pep in that second. Arteta screaming like a child on the schoolyard as the player that he'd spotted in the Arsenal Academy, nurtured himself back in his playing days, delivered the hammer a hammer that Arsenal fans will hope is the exclamation point on their dream season. The, the amazing thing to me was, you know, Gabriel Jesus was the hero. Injured. He begat Eddie and Ketcher. Um, lost his form. Begat Leandro Trossard. Begat Reese 
Nelson on this day, an almost biblical lineage of Arsenal goal scorers. And in that moment, all we saw everywhere was just the purest joy, the purest innocence. Footballers are heavily paid, massively. They're cynical, they're professionals. But all of that in this moment, just the mask completely dropped. They were just reeling around, eyes full of wonder, in unison with the Arsenal faithful. You know, Charles Watts tweeted, the more you look at the still picture of the goal, the more you see. Gabriel collapsed over. Odegaard flat on his back on the floor. Ben White trolling Cherry's keeper Neto, celebrating in his face. Jorginho charging on. Saliba going somewhere. Nelson, honestly, is the calmest of everyone. There's Bournemouth surrender Cobras absolutely everywhere. A goal deep in what's called Fergie time. Sir Alex Ferguson, united as title winners, would always find a way. Never stop believing. Never stop going. Never stop winning. Can't stop, won't stop. David, Arsenal Football Club, chasing that first title in 19 years. Just last second moment. Just, I mean, I watched it. The collective memory that the fans, the players forged in that moment. Can you name a movie? Name a movie that was better at the end than that. Because to, to be honest, my favourite movies are all, they're all Holocaust ones. So happy ending's not really my thing. But sports, man, the greatest. <laughs> I mean, nearly every, yeah, I mean, nearly every Hollywood movie ever made uh, ends like that, Rog. It was a wonderful moment. What made it so good is that it wasn't just pure happiness. It wasn't just pure joy. It was heavier than that. It was... It was a release of pressure. It spoke to the amount of pressure that they all feel under, the amount of pressure that Arteta is putting on himself, that he's putting on his club. It was a release of something phenomenal and deep and terrifying to them to be caught. And the moment that they they escaped after that early goal, they escaped after going 2-0 down, they escaped after... You know, as you said, every block, every shot going wide, everything not quite going their way as they tried to get in the game. That's what made it so good. Oh, but Arsenal fans just loving life at the moment, particularly there's a joke going around that the three last minute stoppage time winners that they've savoured this season um, all came off academy graduates. Reese Nelson, Eddie Nketiah and the back of Emmy Martinez's head. God bless you, Arsenal, by the way, from an Everton fan. What a game. The goal after nine seconds, that's what's amazing about this epic game. That Bournemouth goal, a complete misdirection in narrative by the Premier League script writers, will be totally forgotten. All we know is Gunners, Chiefs, Brendan Fraser, comeback season is upon us all. And I want to end this game by reading a, a raven we got from GFOP, Paul Melema, who wrote after the final whistle, he said, football really saved me today. Massive storms in Louisville. All of Kentucky have been power cut. Hundreds of thousands suffering, including mine, for well over 24 hours now. But Reese Nelson's goal made me forget about everything. It was one of a small few things to put a smile on my face. I love what you do. Keep on fighting the good fight. I'll just say, God bless you, Paul, to you and your family. Big love to all of you in Kentucky and Arsenal fans. Just make meaning, make memories. It's magnificent watching what your team are doing for you right now. Um, okay, Rog, Manchester City 2, Newcastle nil. The global order game of the week as Abu Dhabi 
owned Manchester City. See off the Saudi-backed tune in what was a relatively routine win. Phil Foden started the scoring, leaving the type of streak between Newcastle defenders that is normally only reserved for his haircuts before steering one past Nick Pope. And then in the second half, just two minutes after coming on as a sub, diminutive Portuguese indie rocker Bernardo Silva <laughs> hit a quick catch and release to make it two. And so Pep keeps his hot, perpetually agitated Iberian breath on the neck of his nephew, Mikel Arteta. That great English footballing centuries-long tradition, the golf derby. Two clubs who hope that they will tear at opponents with the ferocity and tactical savvy that their teams of lawyers fight charge after charge in the courtroom. Get stuck in, Lord Panic! Um, Miguel Delaney, the independent journalist, tweeted... Exciting game ahead. A one-state-owned club has been charged with multiple alleged breaches of Premier League rules. The other has just seen their owners contradict their legally binding assurances in a US court. What a moment. And yes, we have to mention Newcastle entered with the aftertaste of Carabao Cup defeat in their mouths and the looming threat caused by a case in the United States surrounding Live Golf. Legal filings described the Newcastle chairman, Yasser Al-Ramian, as, quote, a sitting minister of the Saudi government. What? Dave Piff was an instrument of the Saudi state after all? Count, I don't believe count it. Count me for one among the shocked. <laughs> I mean, it, se- I don't believe it, it seems we were assured at the time of the yeah. takeover. Those assurances maybe aren't true, Dave. How would, how would a yeah. Premier League ever to know? Yeah, assurance may not uh, translate uh, in, in Arabic in the same way as, as we we understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's just tough. Yeah, it's just difficult. I mean, this is what the Premier League has created, Rog, and this is what the Premier League has allowed to happen. Um, I just really don't know what more can we say about it. It's becoming comical, absolutely comical. And of course, all of these, uh, you know, findings that we're getting in this Live Golf case are fascinating yep. reading. God, it's all Arlo White's fault. <laughs> but the, the, the Premier League teams who are not single state owned are said to be utterly livid. The matter will now be discussed at a shareholders meeting of the Premier League March 30th. Premier League in Newcastle yet to make a comment. But the league's chief executive, Richard Masters, told the BBC back in November 2021 that if his organisation found evidence there was state involvement in the running of Newcastle, quote, we can remove the consortium as owners of the club. I honestly, to be clear, cannot imagine that ever happening. But the club's brand is about to take on really a real true darkness. Um, But to the football city... Desperate to keep Arsenal's heels at least in sight as they headed towards the horizon. Um, needed this. Newcastle even more desperate to find their forward gear. Spurs, Liverpool in that mud fight for fourth place. They unleashed the gimp. Anthony Gordon made his full debut for some ginger mano-mano with KDB. And it didn't work. 15 minutes, City cruised into lead. Incredible feet from Foden. And picked up the ball at the edge of the area. Charged through one, two... Three, four Newcastle defenders clipped at home with a heavy deflection off Botman. Four in three for Pep's first son. And his best, Dave, and he seems to be getting back there. Dude's like a human hand grenade. Yeah, I mean, he is explosive. He has, uh, he has the, you know, the, the, the muscle reflexes, the, 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 the sort of like insane, like muscle speed of 
of, of, of something from wildlife, Rog. You know, it's why fleas can jump so far and it's why, why, why leopards can spring so easily. And sometimes Foden is not human in terms of his explosiveness. Yeah, but that goal came after a tough spout in the season. Foden this week has talked about how the, the, this season has been one of his lowest in the game. And Pep addressed it actually pre-game. He said he's spoken to Phil that he's gone down the level. When that happens, you have to accept it. Can't blame others, the opponent or the manager or the club. Accept you can do better. Step by step, you will be back. Which is really tough love from father to son and tough love for Newcastle. They can't score at the moment. They're averaging something like one goal every four hours in the Premier League since the World Cup. Pickings were slim. There was a peculiar joy of seeing Anthony Gordon steaming on goal, pull back his foot <laughs> and just whiff entirely. Prove you can take the boy out of Everton, Davo. There was also a violent foul from the... I mean, it's always, to me, when I see Mickey Almiron not smiling, it's always shocking. But watching him take out Jack Grealish six months after Grealish had drunkenly screamed at Mores, that he plays like Almiron. I've got to say, I'm, I was totally there for some Almiron Grealish revenge tour violence. But Newcastle, they get so much possession. They are, they're almost comical in their attempts to muster a shot on target, David. Yeah, I mean, they're not the only one. Um, there, there are certain clubs we're going to get to a couple of them who who are exactly the same Rog but perhaps teams that that we follow but uh, yeah Newcastle certainly now they're seen as more of a target where teams go in against them you know they're not getting so many surprise goals they are they're having to earn more and you know it's tough and against Manchester City they make it very very difficult for you uh, to really open them up and um yeah, this, this this game was not really as close as the final score suggested. Yeah, City honestly held Newcastle at arm's length like an older brother, just getting a little brother and just getting that on the old head and letting them windmill away with the punches, just grasping in air, knowing they couldn't be hurt. Pep flung on Bernardo for KDB. Within two minutes, eight seconds, he delivered the dagger. City just preying on a Newcastle defensive lapse, driving forward, flinging that ball along the edge of the box like a burger patty, going down that five-guys prep line. Grealish to Haaland. Big man, soft hands, fed Bernardo, stabbed at home. And then we just had lots of really Harland shithousing. So many forms of Harland shithousing down the stretch. The fight with Dan Byrne, Davo. My initial reaction was, is Harland the one to have to look up? I've never seen it before. Normally, he just ambles into a scrap with certainty he's going to have the high ground. But what did you make of this tussle, which if it had been allowed to go on, I do believe scientifically may have caused the world to just spontaneously combust. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like a superhero fight. It would have been like Iron Man versus the Hulk or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, I mean, it's tough because I don't like fighting in football. I don't think it's a good thing. And yet at the same time, Let them sometimes I'd like to see yeah. these fights go on. Um, I have no way to call it. You sort of feel ultimately... Like Erling Haaland just has too much Viking in him uh, to allow uh, Dan Byrne to get near him. Dan Byrne, though, has been... Dan Byrne has taken out the likes of Begbie many times in bar fights across England, I think. I know, but he needs props. He needs a prop. If he gets him near the corner flag, he could have hurt him, but not without a prop, I just said, I got one note on this fight. Sometimes Haaland smiles, and I could swear, and I'd love City fans who watch him with more detail than I do to tell me if this is true or not. Maybe I'll ask Pep. I swear that Arland's top teeth are a pair of dentures that he's just ripped out of some vanquished defender's mouth on the battlefield. 
<laughs> Sometimes it looks like Orland's top row of teeth are just made out of badly varnished wood. They're very, they're, they're really quite. They don't really fit in his mouth. Yeah, but, and I think he likes it. I think he likes it. You know that he knows that they weren't his own, and you don't want to know where we got them. Two 0 City, who won? Uh, really, who won this one? I'd say Sports Washing was probably the winner off the field, but City on it. Best attack, overwhelmed the league's best defence. Important three points for City. You wouldn't know that from Pep's demeanour post-game. Uh, full dark night mode. And Newcastle really will rue chance after chance miss. Take stock of a season that could be flailing a little bit. In the last eight weeks, they've been eliminated from the FA Cup by League One Sheffield Wednesday. They lost the Carabao Cup final. And they've dropped 14 points for the last 21. They got Wolves, Forest away, Manchester United still to come. Away the lads. Okay, now to the game that my son George and I were actually at this weekend. Chelsea won, Leeds nil, a 53rd minute towering header from the excellent Wesley Fofana. Delivered a rare victory for Chelsea and most significantly granted temporary clemency, one assumes, to Professor Potter who desperately needed these points. Chelsea are in 10th place. Leeds are in 17th out of the drop zone on goal difference alone. God, how the world felt different when these two teams met back in August. Jesse Marsh oversaw that delirious 3-0 drubbing over Thomas Tuchel, in which everything felt possible. Now Chelsea are sitting 10th in the league, eight wins all season, just one win in 2023. How was taking your son to his first match at Stamford Bridge, a game that I hope, despite all the bullyisms that surround it, and 90 minutes he'll never forget. What was it like? Well, look, number one, to anybody out there listening to this who've not yet made the trip to uh, to England to watch your favourite Premier League team play, uh, and perhaps if you have your own son, your own daughter, your own family member who would love to go there with you, do it, you know, Empty out the piggy bank. It was just, you know, much more than the cost of the flight and the hotel and the and the you know the tickets that were and the Nando's um, and the well not the Nando's but uh, some other meals. Um, it was just worth it tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold. It's priceless. It was really a priceless experience. He was just so moved to walk in there into the stadium. He's been to the stadium before, but never on match day to make the walk down the Fulham Road. And he um, he just loved every second of it. And it was incredible. And the atmosphere, I have to say, I was surprised that uh, Stamford Bridge was packed. And the atmosphere was incredible. Maybe because they thought that there might have been a live firing at halftime, um, you know, by the <laughs> Americans of, of, of Graham Potter. So there was a little bit of a... Um, of, of a sense that people were there to witness as much the, you know, the end of Potter as, as, as the beginning of something. Um, the Leeds fans, of course, were amazing. They sung their hearts out the entire game. Um, but the atmosphere was, was, was pretty special. But yeah, what an experience taking George there. Yeah, to the game, Chelsea dominated the possession, but it was sterile possession. Yeah. Havertz slipped through by Sterling, full half the field romp, but Melier swatted it aside with his massive... Occasionally erratic French arm. João Felix wrapped the bar. Chili volley just past the post when floated in by Kai. 
But at around 30 minutes, it all started to be rendered impotent by Leeds. Tyler Adams in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Adams mode, flickering on the counter. Boo started to ripple out. The cameras cut to Todd Burley, who looked, really looked like he thought he was going in disguise this week. It was like sloppy hat, massive Chelsea scarf, if you've not seen it. Kind of Philip Jennings in The Americans, when you know he's in disguise, but the showrunners need you to know that it's still Matthew Reese. Um, in the, <laughs> going undercover at Gunner Fan 06 called The Look. Billionaires, where's Waldo? Honestly, our boy is starting to look a bit like American Boris Johnson. But as he was sitting there looking absolutely miserable, huge booze at the halftime whistle. Dave, we need to know, did you and George participate? No, didn't participate in the booze. I mean, I was, I was mesmerised by what I was watching, partly because I'd spent some time the night before with a... Um, a a coach I know within the Chelsea system who'd explained to me actually what what Graham Potter's system is and what he's trying to 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 do with the team and explained to me what and watching Graham Potter get frustrated where you can actually see him because you know I was looking at him every single second of the game watching him get frustrated with the team was so interesting at what are the things that drive him crazy what are the commands that are coming from the sideline he is a lot more active than appears when you watch on television when they only cut away when he does something dramatic um it was just a fascinating encounter and Chelsea were dominant and yet at the same time looked so vulnerable Every time Leeds broke forward with speed, which that is a team that can break forward with speed. But it, yeah, it was um, it was incredibly frustrating to watch that first half. Fifty third minute though, off a corner, Wesley Fofana, big air, don't care, and relief was palpable. Poor Graham Potter, he almost he almost emoted, and then the cameras cut to odd Todd Burley, and he did this weird thing. I don't know if you've seen it, Davo. He stood up. No smiles. Just did this weird with his cheeks. This weird thing. Find it on our Instagram. Yeah, no, I've seen he, it. He, he, he kind of he kind of quickly blew them out twice. Like I don't. It was like I've watched on a lot of nature shows, and it's like what I think an American bullfrog does it. And I was trying to understand why Todd Burley did it. That cheek thing. Because I looked it up, Davo, and apparently in most frog species. Um, frogs do it. It's the male sending out the call to mate. It's the vocal sac apparently expanding as it fills with air. Send out a signal that it's ready to make sweet, sweet love. Do you think that's the same for Todd? Um, do you know, the more remarkable part of that celebration was, I understand you were obsessed with the, the toad-like behaviour of the mouth, but it was actually what sweet, he was doing with his love. hands. It was the fact that he clapped and then immediately started, he moved straight from a clap into the fist hitting the hand. Um, Rock, that, paper, scissors stuff. Yeah, it was just so odd. I think he was trying to decide if he was going to fire um, Graham Potter or not. And he was, did rock, paper, scissors with himself. Um, God, I, I, I would love genuinely any nature experts who are listening to this show to just explain uh, what that was. I think the hands thing, I just, any broadcaster knows, I don't know what to do with my hands. But the Chelsea fans sang, we've scored a goal, we've scored a goal, we've scored, just gallows humour. All over the bridge. Leeds, it's got to be said, had their chances. Chelsea nervy down the stretch. Ruta whiff from point blank range. Chelsea, though, hung on. Picked up their second win in 12 games. With you there, Davo. That's when they win all comps. I think they're first in seven games since they beat Crystal Palace 1-0 back in January. What was your son's biggest reaction, his biggest surprise, seeing it for real there in person about the whole experience? 
Well, one, how physical the game was. You just don't realise how physical the game is. And he was watching, of course, very interested in the young. He's a huge Chelsea fan, but he's very interested to see Tyler and Weston and Brendan play. And the uh, just watching how physical the midfield battles were and Enzo and Tyler and really, you know, getting into it at certain points. Tyler Adams, I noticed, he plays the game often not watching the ball. He spends a lot of time like going in just with regard for everything except for where the ball is. I hope he's... Uh, I, I, once he starts realising that if he watches the ball, he could be even better, there's no there, stopping. There is a ball. There, there, there is a ball. There's, there's, there's going to be no stopping <laughs> how good he could be at football. But Tyler, I thought, was was electric in the game. Um, just the, the fan atmosphere, the Leeds fans brought it so hard. There was one wonderful moment, Rog, where they were screaming at... Wesley Fofana went down in the box. You know, not a soft player, Wesley Fofana, but he went down um, after some contact in the box. And of course, they started singing to him as Leeds fans do. You're just a soft Southern bastard, uh, to which you could feel all the Chelsea fans in the stadium just like, he's bloody French. And so there was a lot of laughter about that. Um, the the geographic, uh, you know, background of the, of the players, not, not the Leeds fans strong suit. And uh, but no, the atmosphere was superb, the physicality of the game. You see live, I mean, it's a real reminder that watching football live versus watching in television is such a different thing. You just pick up things that you just don't see um, the rest of the time. I did start to see the glimmerings of the Potter system, Rog, especially in these little three-man games that he sets up all around the field, watching how well they they do very, very well passing the ball out of the back now, which is something they really struggled under Tuchel and Lampard and have st- struggled for years they get it up into into the middle third beautifully as a team it's from the middle third into the final third where that same three-man game that he tries to set up just never seems to work thought Jao Felix was excellent he worked so hard but Fofana was Chelsea's best player deserved to have the um have the goal and a relief a relief at the final whistle across the stadium down the Fulham Road in the pubs after the game was palpable um and Todd Burley he because by all accounts, from everyone close to the man, he does not want to get rid of Graham Potter, but he needs this guy to like win some matches and get some points so he doesn't have to fire him. <sighs> Leeds, I've got to say, you, you nailed it. Their fans are incredible, travelling everywhere they go en masse, even though their waveform has been absolutely abject this season. Now, out of the relegation zone, million goal difference. Chelsea, mighty Chelsea, cement their hold on 10th place. Close that gap tonight to just one point, albeit with two more games played. Uh, but asked what he thought at the final whistle as he trundled across the field past the cameras. Todd Burley grimaced, spat out the words, it's a result, and walked off. Fascinating comment. It's a result, nothing more, nothing less. One goal from a set piece against reeling leads. Really a band-aid on much bigger problems that will not be healed by one win. Chelsea now face up to Dortmund midweek, trailing 1-0 on aggregate. All that really is left to play for in the Chelsea season (sighs) lies ahead. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long-time staple in the Bennett refrigerator. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Always bold, always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress, known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse, Wrexham AFC's home. They support it. They support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar, essentially 
the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. And be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Okay, Wolves 1, Spurs 0, Tottenham head to the Black Country and drop what could be massive points in the context of the top four race, top five race even. After crashing a pair of shots off the bar, Spurs eventually fell to a really well-taken 82nd-minute rebound from that giant bottle of baby oil in football boots, the perpetually glistening Adama Traore. Spurs still in fourth, but this was a massive opportunity missed from inconsistent Spurs. Yeah, incredible one weekend. Truly dreadful an X, and this is very much an off week. They opened as if just hell-bent on firing the ball over and over again at Jose Sars' fingers, buzzing the Wolves' goal over and over. Wolves, got to say, off came Diego Costa, what I hope is not a season-ending injury on a stretcher. Pedro Porro, who actually looked a lot better on this day, wrapped the crossbar with a free kick. Sonny did likewise on a one-on-one. Um, but Wolves, Neves starting to fire rangefinders down the stretch. Spurs paid no heed. And in the 82nd minute, Jimenez, fantastic cameo. CONCACAF thunder. Fraser Forster could only parry the shot. And Traore, Davo, Traore blasted the ball home. Dude, honestly, probably, I've looked at it a million times. Dude is probably trying to cross the ball if he was being honest it was such a <laughs> you don't think of composed finishes and Traore dude do you think he in his mind he said I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blast this wildly over the bar and thus it was just like the most accurate moonshot of all time yeah and just missed it I mean there's no way he can feel the feet at the end of his legs Rog with the amount of work he's doing on his on his quads um it's a um it's remarkable that he manages to even make contact with the ball with that much muscularity Oh, but man, Tottenham had their chances. 21 shots, saying their most they've had in a Premier League game without scoring since 2019. Three away defeats in a row now. Truly a blown opportunity to cement their grip on, on, on you could say, an undeserved fourth place. I think Daniel Storey, the, uh, the journalist, calls it a fourth place almost by default uh, this season. They now await Milan's arrival for the midweek clash in the Champions League. After an FA Cup limp out against Sheffield United, which means we're almost certainly headed for another Spurs trophyless season, which which aches for that fan base. And it's so odd watching them. You know, of all these teams, all these teams are, are trying to grab that fourth place. All of them are so flawed that the fourth place chase, David, almost feels like a relegation scrap. You know, where, where the teams are trying to beg, borrow, steal every single goal, never mind every single point down the stretch. You kind of feel that whoever it is, Liverpool, Newcastle or Spurs, that cement that fourth place, they're just going to cross the finish line and just instantly collapse. 
Yeah, Spurs have to find some consistency, Rod. This is, they are just two different teams, one week to the next. Okay, Southampton 1, Leicester 0. The rock-bottom Saints get a massive victory over the Foxes. Big uh, sigh from Roger. Even after the Comet hell-bop-level rare occurrence of a James Ward-Prowse missed penalty. But just three minutes later, the Saints were able to pick the lock with a lightning quick counter that saw Shea Adams play a really slick through ball to Argentina's Carlos Alcaraz, who finished neatly for what ended up being the winner. Ruben Sellis's side leapfrog Bournemouth into 19th place, one point from safety. A limp Leicester, so reliant on James Madison, who they just couldn't get on the ball uh, in dangerous enough places. They honestly could have got beaten by more. James Ward-Prowse missed the penalty. Honestly, I'm surprised when I watch it. James Ward-Prowse should have asked the ref if he could allow the Leicester defenders to make a wall in front of the penalty spot. Don't you think he would have scored it for sure? Then? Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, just it's just too hard for him just to blast the ball wildly at a naked goalkeeper exposed. Yeah, he needs a wall. yeah, it almost doesn't feel fair to him. He's that decent a guy. This doesn't feel fair. It's not a fair fight, ref. Alcaraz, though, God bless, fine, fine finish. Still didn't know how he rolled the ball past the goalkeeper from that far enough distance. Two starts, two enormous goals for the young Argentinian, who then, this is somewhat incredible, lacerated his knee on the celebratory knee slide and had to be subbed off. I think he's having his meniscus scan today. Injury, David. I honestly can't believe we don't see more knee slide-inspired injuries. Brighton. Four, West Ham nil. Not the first time David Moyes has tangled with the seagulls and lost, but this time we're talking about the football team and not the actual birds. Three continents of goals from Argentina's Alexis McAllister, the Netherlands' Joel Veltman, Japan's Karo Mitoma, and England's that guy Welbs leave West Ham in 16th place. Just one point from the drop. Brighton, meanwhile, up to 8th place and in the mix for European football. There was an incredible transfer rumour that kind of did the rounds midweek last week that Todd Burley is thinking of firing Graham Potter and replacing him with Deserby, which is just hilarious and ridiculous <laughs> and almost wonderful. And believable. Yes, that's all, like all great conspiracy theories. But Deserby Seagulls, my Lord, they do now rain goals. They treated a flat <laughs> and motivated West Ham can I just say, Rog, it's just that Todd Burley's saying, I was just ahead of my time. I yes. made the right move. Yeah. I hired the Brighton manager, but yeah. I was ahead of my time. Yeah. I was ahead, so far ahead. Ultimately, the move was the right one. It was a, you know, play, I, 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 Timing. I, I let the guy I really want just announce himself. I had to create that room in that Brighton yeah. log jam. Brilliant. But God, that team just treated a hapless, truly sodden West Ham the way I've only ever seen John Stewart reserve for interviewing Oklahoma State Senators. David Moyes' team, they must win this, managed just two shots on goal, 32% possession. This wasn't just defeat. It was honestly a humiliation. Players seemed lost or shorn of care. Um, the West Ham fans sang, you don't know what you're doing. The travelling fans uh, sang down towards David Moyes as they watched their team's worst defeat since August 2019. A defeat that came at the worst time. Midweek European action in Cyprus against Larnaca is now followed by an enormous must-win home rumble against Aston Villa next weekend. Let us pray that Sundays are for the Moyes. Talking of, Aston Villa won, Crystal Palace nil. The Villains win their second on the bounce over 10-man Palace. The home side's goal came in the 27th minute with a bit of liquid football that started with goalkeeper Mark Bunn. Villa then worked the ball up the right-hand side 
and ended with Palace's Joachim Anderson turning the ball into his own net, but he had to play it, Rog. Things would get worse for Palace in the 62nd minute when Czech Decore was shown the door for two yellow cards in five second-half minutes. Palace, Rog, yet to win in 2023. Worrying times. Yeah, never mind win. They can barely score a goal, Dave, that is not of the own variety, which happened in this game. (laughs) Never mind score a goal. Um, They couldn't muster touch. I think they had five touches inside the suddenly Unai Emery competent Aston Villa's penalty area. Zero shots on target performance for Palace. That tells its own sad aching story. Just six points now separate them in 12th from Southampton at the bottom of the table and Manchester City away next weekend with Brighton and Arsenal to follow. Yes, worrying times. In a game that will kick off right around the time this podcast is released, ninth place Brentford taking on seventh place Fulham in a London derby with massive European implications. But we've got to finish, Rog, with Nottingham Forest 2, Everton 2... Roger, roller coaster of emotion for Everton fans who twice took the lead at the City Stadium, only to give it right back to the tricky trees. On the plus side, you did score goals, plural, which is progress. And we're absolutely sure that that's how you see it, right? Progress. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, you know, it's come to this, David. This was the Ariel Helwani Rog Derby. Everton, who GFOP at Prof David Dawn kindly called the last ticket on the Hindenburg limped in I think just three away wins in our last 31 traveling to Forest who have the second this is incredible the second best home unbeaten run they've not lost their home since September 16th 18 matches undented fortress is what it is and we are whatever the opposite of Visigoths that's what Everton really are <laughs> not even changed with Sean Dyche who I do believe and I'd love him to do a 23 and me I think he's 12% Visigoth firm of handshake but just six points in five games since his arrival. Again, no DCL. Why? Because he hates football. No Mope. Why? Because he can't play football. So Everton fielded six midfielders. Damari Gray furthest forward. We had real energy at the start. We got bodies in the box. But because one of those happened to be Dwight McNeil, uh, who might be, might be scientifically the single worst footballer ever to play in the Premier League. He is to football what Nate Robinson is to boxing. I cannot stand that man. But he was tripped by John Joe Shelby in the box. This Forest squad, by the way, was Shelby and Colback and Serge Aurier. It's like as if some grave diggers had exhumed corpses of past mediocre Premier League teams and just flung them together. It's really astonishing what they're doing. Down went McNeil. We had a penalty. Really, I was like, oh, God. Oh, he won you a penalty. Yeah, no, I, was I like, love it. I was like, a penalty for us to miss. That was my move. But Damari Gray just smacked home. Pointed to his Everton badge as he did so, God bless. You know, normally that makes me feel proud, but I just felt sad for him. Yes, I I ride with deep mediocrity. Um, That was just our second away goal in five bloody months, Dave. A lead lasted 10 minutes. Let me tell you what happened. My, My younger son, Oz, who's almost the same age as George, that same kind of wonder, that same kind of naivete, he turned to us, we're 1-0 up, and he said, Oh, Dad, if Everton win, we'll be in mid-table. And my second son, Bear, just went berserk. He said, never say that. Never predict victory during a game. This is Everton. Only darkness can ensue. That was my own sunset. Only darkness can ensue. And I I just all sat there, chastised, crestfallen. And I realized we in that moment 
had just ripped off all this childlike kind of optimism. You know, that giddy childhood, you believe in your hero still. We'd ripped it off. We'd made him look at the abyss of hell. We'd forced him to glimpse into it and introduce him to the life truth. I think this is the life truth, Davo. Everton fans are only able to, to microdose joy. And even worse, to make him feel somehow responsible for he it. Was so crushed. He was so crushed. Yes. He, I mean, because, yes, I don't know if you know, dear listeners, within seconds of him saying that, um, Forrest, just the two true players of quality on the day, Gibbs White, just hurled himself into space, uh, slapped a shot at Pickford, which he could just parry. Brendan Johnson, incredible footballer, tapped the rebound home from an angle. And yeah, Davo, Oz was just on the couch. He... Have you ever had that? He felt utterly responsible for a cosmic moment beyond his control. Am I a terrible parent? Oh, poor boy. Um, yeah, well, I mean, no, you're not a terrible parent. You're an absolutely wonderful parent. But this is, you know, it's hard watching your team, you know, not be that great. And watching a team in the relegation zone, what is going to make a difference? It's hard. You know? Listen to this one. Everton have not scored two goals in a game since October. Since October, 15 games we've watched, all comps. When you think about that, you just realise how much I saw football, how much trauma I have devoted my life to and compelled my kids to watch alongside me. Just awful, awful life choices. We have precious life in time. And I am essentially spending it watching a pile of dog shite. Big boy goal though. Free kick. Tarkovsky, Keane, head tennis. Decore stepped up, nodded past Navas from close range. And I just found myself, suddenly, I don't know how I got there, on my knees in front of the television, hands in the air, pointing at the sky. And then I got just Crushed by fear. Oh, crap. Did we just lose our entire allotment of goals for the rest of the season in one game? We had only scored six times in the first half all season. That's incredible, too. These, these are disgusting statistics. And this, this was just a feast. A feast. But genuinely, never more painful watching Everton than when you got something to lose. And I feared the second half. You think of Steve Cooper just in that locker room making complex tactical changes and adjustments. And you think Sean Dyche just... Having a cigarette, maybe finishing two pints of lager, punching Tom Davis casually in the down below of a knuckle while lighting his own farts. And so it came to pass. At one, Benjamin Landry tweeted, no one relegation edges like Everton. I love that relegation edging. Second half, feisty stuff, really championship caliber football. Again, Brennan Johnson, the difference, his quality, collected the ball, exchanged passes with Yates and just smashed it home. Into the corner. Everton, God bless, we've lost 15 points from... These are all terrible statistics from winning positions this season. Um, and that's it. Brutal blunt force. True trauma. Everton shattered. Deitch trusts his bench like Tom Thibodeau trusts his. We didn't lose. That's progress. We're still in the relegation zone. Um, one more game played than all around us. This draw, Dave, felt like both a loss and a win in equal measure. Have you, have you... It was a good result, was it? This was a good Make result. I was just waiting for you to get to it. Make the case that when you're in a relegation battle, you have to get points on the road and you've got to win at home. And this is a point on the road against a relegation rival, a team, you know, a few places above you. This was a decent point. This hurts much more for Forrest than it does for Everton. This was important. To lose the lead trikes was 
was for a show night scene in agony. But to have the lead is remarkable, Rog. Two goals scored uh, away from home. I love, I love, a point I love, on the I road. Love, this is I a great result. To to P still on the couch sobbing. But I had a breakthrough realisation myself this week, um, which I want to close with. I've come to see the trauma of this season. I just realised Everton watching them is like as if you are watching one of the world's worst jam bands and you just have to go and see them in concert and just watch them noodle for hours on end on on an extended improvisation of the only song that they know how to play, which is entitled Woeful, Uninspired, Miserable Mediocrity. And then I tried at the end, dear listeners, to do what I promised you that I would and just look at myself in the mirror and say, winning at life, we're winning at life. <laughs> Doesn't work. Uh, this was it was a good result, Rog. It was a good result. Um, before we go, a quick reminder about everything we've got happening at Men in Blazers this week. Our new podcast, Vamos, with Hurt Gomez, launches this Thursday right here on this very pod feed. Don't miss it. Also on this pod feed, what I'm told is a truly incredible episode with JJ Watt next Saturday. <sighs> Let's finish. Oh, with a toast. I want to raise this shot of Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in a shot glass to the fans of mites in the Bundesliga, Jurgen Klopp's first club, who on Saturday unfolded an incredible giant TIFO, I think it's on our Instagram, in which they commemorated the birthday of Eugene Solomon, 135th birthday. Um, Eugene Solomon was one of the club's founders, uh, its first president, um, a German Jew who was deported, murdered by the Nazis in Auschwitz in 1942. Um, this club have named the street leading to the stadium Eugene Solomon Strasser. Um, but the act of joyously remembering his birthday so publicly, so wondrously, so proudly ahead of a German football game, it is, it is remarkable to witness in terms of football, in terms of national history, in terms of memory. I find it so deeply moving. May his memory never be forgotten. And Godspeed to the Nuffunfa. Okay, you can follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, on Facebook, uh, we're the Men in Blazers, on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Men in Blazers. We're on YouTube. You can see a video version of our podcast, including this podcast, which we'll release in full. That is right from the opening to the close. Check it out on our YouTube right now. Also, our TikTok, at Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweet. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Dave. Love you, Roger. What enough fun for? Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey. 
Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.